Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome to a new week, Solar Warrior. Here we go. This is Two for Tuesday. Whether that's a tactical Tuesday or just content from one of our many live events like SPI Podcast Lounge, this is going to be a short form conversation typically with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips and advice for building your solar business or career and grow with us here on Suncast as I know you will. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us again and level up your game. Remember, you can always find the resources and learn more about today's guests and recommendations in the blog at mysuncast.com. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast. Today we have James Ellis. James is the head of Latin America research for Bloomberg New Energy Finance. James is based in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and he oversees an analyst team focused on research and analysis into the clean energy sector across the region. We're going to go ahead and bring James into view and, uh, and kick this off. James, great to see you, my friend. Welcome to the summit. Hey, Nico, how are you doing? Thanks very much. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. Fantastic to see you again. Thanks uh, also to our mutual friend, Guillaume Fauché, who also works for Bloomberg in the LATAM market, making sure that this wonderful information that you guys create, the, probably the best data in the market, uh, is disseminated to those who need it to make critical decisions of how they're going to grow their companies, how the market is going to move, and how to stay ahead of it. So, James, we had a pleasure of meeting in person back, uh, I think, gosh, uh, two years ago at the New Energy Finance uh, summit, ironically, at a summit in New York City in person. I wish we had the opportunity to shake hands today. Um, nonetheless, here we are. We're going to uh, dive in uh, both at a macro level and then hopefully dive down into some questions from the audience. I remember back 2013 coming into uh, Latin America when I first started in the market with Trina Solar. Uh, one of the early webinars I saw was with your colleagues down in Brazil. And at that time, the market was dominated by and large by hydropower and wind power. And I remember thinking, Bloomberg really doesn't cover solar, but they really have a good take on where the clean energy markets are going. So the clean energy market by and large was hydro uh, and wind. James, were you with Bloomberg at the time? So I actually was not. Um, I, I worked for a competitor who I will not, who, I, who shall remain nameless. Um, but I joined in, uh, I joined in 2017 and, uh, and I've been in Sao Paulo since then. Um, I've always been focused on Latin America. And uh, yeah, and thanks so much for the, uh, the very kind intro. I hope, uh, I also hope we get to uh, actually shake hands at a uh, and, and 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 return to normalcy at a uh, at a physical summit at some point. As do I, as do I. Well, as I mentioned, the market in many ways depends on the research that you and your team bring to the forefront. I'd like to give you the stage, as it were, for a few minutes to 
Give us a, a panorama, an overview, a state of the union, if you will, of Latin America clean energy. James, leave, leave it to you. And afterwards, we'll dig down and answer questions from the audience, as well as I've got a few questions floating around as well. Hey, thanks so much, Nico. And uh, let me just also begin by saying uh, thanks so much for, uh, for having me here. And uh, we're also really big fans of your work. Uh, you always put together very, very insightful uh, material, presentations, podcasts, et cetera. So, uh, so, so right Thank back you at you. Um, so there's a lot of craziness going on right now uh, to state uh, at, at the very minimum and to state the obvious. So um, that combined with the fact that it obviously wouldn't be a BNF uh, or Bloomberg presentation for that matter, if we didn't hit you guys with a lot of data uh, and, and give you a lot of stats. So, so with that in mind, and as Nico said, um, I want to kind of start things off um, with a little bit of a, a little bit of a scene setter, um, and to present what I think are some of the key key uh, numbers and figures out there that can help us understand not only the state of clean energy today, um, and, and and I do want to talk about about um, COVID nineteen uh, and, and the various impacts, uh, both short and long term, um, that that we think are coming. Um, but we also kind of have to know where we're coming from uh, and, and, and understand some of the tailwinds um, b- before we dive into, uh, into the headwinds, which are, of course, uh, considerable and dominating the, uh, dominating the news right now. So, yeah, let's just dive in. Uh, maybe we can go, ju- go ahead to the first, uh, first set of charts I put together for today. Uh, so, so something that I think is incredibly important to just um, talk about from a macro point of view, just a fact here, is that in much of the region... Um, we really saw slow, sluggish economic growth in 2019. Brazil and Chile saw pretty weak expansion, and both Mexico and Argentina actually contracted. And I'm talking about GDP in 2019. So that's just something important to keep in mind as we come into 2020 with really dire economic predictions in place across the region. Okay, so weak economic footing is my first point. Um, something I think that is incredibly important to, to emphasize is that clean energy was actually doing really well. Okay. So um, before, uh, before COVID-19 became this major economic factor uh, in, in the hemisphere, um, both clean energy investment and capacity additions hit new records in Latin America last year. So what I'm showing here, first set of charts, is investment. Um, and this is, this, is, uh, this is total investment in new clean energy by country, um, and, and then uh, on the one hand, and then on, by technology on the other. So that's what we're looking at. And as you can see, um, record level total investment was, about, was just over $18 billion. Um, and that's, about, um, that's almost 50% up on the year before. Um, so, so that's a big, so, 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 so things, were looking up, things were looking up. Two quick observations here. Um, you're going to notice, uh, and if, if you're new to our charts, I, if, you're, if you're new to our work um, or, or you don't sort of have like a often take the regional perspective, I think it's important to point out, I'm going to focus a lot on Brazil, Chile, Mexico, and Argentina. That's uh, primarily um, a product of the fact that they account for 97% of total investment in clean energy. So really dominant. And then on the technology side, um, wind and solar are, are, are 96%. Um, so, so I know often when often when we do presentations, um, we'll, we'll get you know uh, questions about about uh, different co- countries outside of that and technologies as well. Um, but but these are certainly the things that I'm I, I spend most of my time looking at in terms of countries and technologies. So last year, what what really moved the needle? Why did we see these this uh, this record eighteen billion dollars in investment? Two big two big increases from twenty eighteen. Um, one Brazil. Uh, and also Chile. I'd say these two countries really led the uptake um, as we saw new projects 
um, secure financing, and these are, uh, and of course, uh, particularly on the wind side, uh, we see you see a, a two to three year delay from 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 point of investment to commissioning. So this this bump in investment will will see sort of translate into commissioning over the next one to three years, right? So Brazil received six and a half billion dollars. That's a seventy four percent increase from twenty eighteen. Chile actually recorded its highest investment ever, um, up fourfold from the previous year. And that actually made it the second largest market in terms of investment last year, which is, I think, would come as a surprise to many here. Um, and then Mexico, Nico, I know you're, you're, you're based in Mexico, um, and, and obviously some interesting developments there as well, just over $4 billion in the clean energy investment. Uh, and this was the country's second highest ever. Uh, interesting fact here, and it has implications for the technology chart, is that about 80% of this was actually investment in solar. Uh, and that, of course, uh, reflects a really strong showing of solar in, in the country's three auctions, which are sort of uh, in the rearview mirror at this point. And, and news has been a little bit gloomy um, for, for renewables out of Mexico of late. Um, but I'm going to try to sort of, I think I'm going to try to highlight, I think I'll highlight some facts actually that, uh, that will show it's not, it's not all gloom, in fact. Placing Mexico kind of on a regional level, it's accounted for about 40% of new investment of total new investment in the region in solar for the past three years. So Mexico is really moving the, the regional solar market in terms of, in, in terms of dollars uh, and pesos. Turning to the technological kind of trend here, investment in wind doubled in 2019 on 2018 levels. And though that's, of course, reflecting a market rebound in, in, uh, in areas where there's a lot of wind development, uh, which is uh, Brazil and Chile, as I mentioned. And that kind of uh, allowed wind to slightly edge out solar in terms of dollars. But investment in solar was also up. I would be remiss if I didn't note, note that by a little bit over 30%. Um, and that growth is a little bit more broadly based in, in Brazil and Chile. And then, of course, Mexico, as I mentioned. So that's sort of a, that sort of sums up the investment story. Um, but another key piece of the puzzle, of course, and one that's probably even more talked about is, of course, capacity. So, uh, and, and, and by that, I mean new capacity additions. So I put together a set of charts um, on the next slide, if we could jump there, um, just to kind of talk, talk us through uh, where, where we were at uh, coming into this uh, exceptionally uh, crazy and unprecedented year. What I'm showing here, and I'm, sh and I'm doing this on purpose, is actually a pre-COVID-19 forecast. This is the forecast that we put out for, uh, for solar and wind annual net additions uh, in the first quarter of this year. Um, and as you could see, uh, we had a record year forecast for 2020, and we had a pretty strong plateau going at around 8 gigawatts per year after that. Yeah, another record. Um, we were up 8% in 2019 on the prior year. And with the exception of Brazil, all the major markets expanded in terms of, uh, in terms of capacity. Interestingly enough, for the very first time, the region actually added um, more solar capacity than wind. Uh, and Mexico was about half of that. So, um, again, I'm going to come back to the theme of Mexico, solar auctions, and, and then finally policy developments this year uh, in a bit. But, um, but, but that's going to be a recurring theme, in, I think, in the talk today. So, yeah, positive outlook, um, largely, largely driven by tailwinds from previous auctions. Um, and we saw the market expanding at about, uh, about 8 gigawatts annually um, in, in the near term through 2022. Not to, to not sort of overly beat the drum of optimism here, there were also, uh, it's probably also important to point out that, uh, that some of these tailwinds were actually starting to fade a little bit already in 2019. And that's because last year auctions were pretty scarce. Um, only Brazil and Colombia held large scale, uh, held utility scale tenders in 2019. 
noteworthy and worth, worth of course, emphasizing that Columbia held its very first successful renewable auction. Um, and that opens up a, a whole new market uh, for the region. Um, and they awarded long-term contracts to uh, about a gigawatt of wind and solar. So that's very significant. Not reflected strongly in the charts yet, but it, but it will be eventually when, when, uh, when, when, when the capacity um, comes online. Um, and then important to note as well that this year, before COVID-19, only Brazil and Chile had been scheduled to hold auctions at all. So that, that would, that would uh, absent any effect from the pandemic, that would hit eventually hit new capacity investment in, in the sort of 2022 or later timeframe. Update, I, I think many people, I, many people listening in will know this already. Brazil's auctions for this year um, of all types, including even transmission, were postponed, although the 2021 auctions are maintained. And Chile's auction, uh, which was scheduled for the end of the year, is actually still maintained. Um, but I have a fairly strong hunch that, uh, that, that we'll see that pushback as well. Um, though, though that's not official, that's pure speculation. So, so the point here just is that we saw sort of a plateau coming rather than, rather than exponential growth. And that's important because so much when we talk about renewable energy and clean energy is really exponential growth. Um, and I think that kind of brings me to, brings, takes us to the next kind of, the next slide, my, my last one. And, uh, Kind of getting at the question maybe of of what's has what what has changed and what do we think uh, is now likely for clean energy in in light of the extraordinary circumstances. So let's talk a little bit more about what has happened just now uh, recently. So I mentioned 2019 GDP growth figures um, in uh, in the major markets and in, and in the region as a whole for that matter uh, weren't great last year. As you can see, I, I included 2020 forecasts. These are all IMF numbers, um, not not our own forecasts. Uh, just for consistency, and, and you can see uh, extremely dire uh, economic outlook across the region. Um, it's pretty much across the board. We're looking at about a five percent contraction, so very worrying indeed. What I'd like, I think, uh, what I think is also important to talk about is that um, the uh, ranges of responses in terms of both the energy sector and the economy writ large has really uh, varied a lot. Yeah, just to maybe summarize that for a minute and, and, and unpack that. Um, what's happened uh, in, in sort of these four countries that I, that, I, that I keep talking about. So Argentina adopted the strictest measures in the region with a nationwide lockdown and uh, you know, aimed, at, aimed at containing the spread of the outbreak. Um, and that was generally the most strict uh, measures taken. We saw Brazil's government uh, not establish a nationwide quarantine, but, but, some, but many of the key states basically have. Chile, on the other hand, implemented a very targeted quarantine that has just been expanded. So, so clearly the situation not under control. And then Mexico has, has emergency measures in place nationally until May 30th uh, and social distancing, people staying home. Um, but, but state responses have also varied a lot. And that's, that's true. Um, that's also true to, to a great extent in, in, uh, in, in, in Brazil. But um, you would think from that description that, okay, everything is completely on hold in terms of construction, in terms of new capacity. But that's actually not the case. Um, and that's because in, um, that's because of one, the variation in measures states have taken in some cases, uh, as, as in Mexico. Um, and that's also because in some cases, as in Argentina, um, construction on private renewable projects has actually been designated essential. Um, that wasn't originally the case, but, but they, they, they made that change in the beginning of April. So that allows work to continue, uh, on, on, uh, on new projects in Argentina. Mexico is a very interesting case because, um, as I said, the state response has varied so much. 
Um, but in general, many renewables projects that had already been underway, work on them has continued actually. Might bite down the line a bit is that earlier stage developments and permitting activity, things that require the courts and regulatory functions in, in some cases have been halted. Uh, and, and the most recent um, and I think troubling piece of news in that regard is just from this week, which is Sanase, of course, suspending um, the, the preoperative tests for, for new clean energy projects, which really just um, completely freezes interconnection of, of new uh, wind and solar projects. Um, but Nico, I'm sure you have some, some thoughts on that as well. Just to kind of conclude what I, what I wanted to, to, to talk about in terms of how the region has been impacted by the pandemic so far, I, uh, I put this chart together here showing, uh, showing, showing demand. And so this is what, I, what we're showing here. And, and unfortunately, I only have the data for, for Brazil, Mexico, and Chile, is actual electricity demand, actual load on the grid versus uh, what we would expect without COVID. So we have some really great, great modelers uh, and, and quants um, in, in BNF, fortunately. And they were, actually, they were able to actually put together a really good um, business as usual case for uh, business as usual demand expectation. Um, so, so this is the percentage difference between a business as usual demand and what has happened, uh, in fact. And as you can see, it's not the same. As, as, as I mentioned with preventative measures, so with electricity demand, um, it's really varied a lot. But in all cases, we can say um, that COVID has absolutely uh, and profoundly affected um, the region's power sectors. You can see here dramatic reductions in electricity consumption. And the size of that drop has varied a lot. So Chile has, has also, in, in addition to that targeted quarantine I mentioned, they have a, a large and somewhat less, a somewhat uh, more unscathed mining industry that accounts, for, um, that accounts for a bit of their load not crashing as much. Um, it started to recover. It was almost back to business as usual levels, and then it's fallen again. Total demand in Brazil and Mexico um, in both countries is about has been has approached up to 15% below expected levels. And in Argentina, which I'm not even showing here, regulated demand has actually dropped by an average of 26%. So what governments have done really has had a big um, and in terms of preventive measures and uh, and impact on the economy has had a huge effect on load. As far as like Mexico goes, just to give like the most recent statistic. Uh, electricity demand in the past week is 14% less than, than, than we would expect. As I mentioned, the targeted quarantine is expanding in Chile. Um, so we think that this combination of slowing economic growth and the continuation of stay-at-home orders in most of these markets really means these trends are going to continue. I showed our pre-COVID forecast, and I intentionally didn't, and I'm not going to show our post-COVID forecast because we haven't published it yet. Um, but we're now estimating um, that at a minimum, 25% uh, of wind and solar capacity that we had expected to be commissioned this year will be actually pushed back um, into, into next year. And what that means, to put a number behind that, uh, that's about 1.9 gigawatts of wind and solar, or 900 megawatts of solar, and about a gigawatt of wind. So that's where we see delays. That's, and, and frankly, that's an optimistic, um, that's probably an optimistic assumption right now um, that's sort of premised on there being a single wave pandemic as opposed to something that goes on for two years. If I could just maybe um, conclude with like a couple, a couple of what I think is, uh, I, I think we'll set up a discussion and, and, uh, and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe bring a, put a line under what some of these numbers. Um, we think some of the big risks to the sector Right now, are of course, economic hardship and the demand, uh, crashing demand that I just uh, highlighted, 
Non-payment from consumers is a big issue. Um, we think that could pressure distributors, and it also raises the possibility of systemic defaults. And then uh, again, you also you also have the uh, some vulnerabilities that that really plunging currencies bring, lower merchant power prices, and dropping demand um, have for some of the bigger investors in the region, which are many of which are European utilities, and uh, who are going to uh, are going to face face a lot of challenges associated with that. And then, of course, there's going to be some lasting effects tied to tied to economic recession, auction cancellations, etc., um, and even a weakening of uh, project finance. So, on that optimistic note, I, uh, I uh, turn the uh, turn the floor back to you, Nico. Hey, for my commercial solar warriors out there, do you sometimes feel like prospects are treating you like a dollar per watt commodity? Instead of a race to the bottom, why not add? more value to your proposals by including Demandex load flexibility software from Extensible Energy. You can use intelligent AI software to monitor solar production and shift the usage patterns of HVAC and other flexible loads. The result is increased savings on energy charges, demand charges, time of use charges, and that makes you and your proposal stand out from the crowd. Who doesn't want that? You can learn all about Demandex and how you can include load flexibility software as part of your proposals at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. And as a bonus, you'll get free load flexibility analysis, sales training, and info on how you can even white label Demandex for your solar company. So go ahead, stand out with Demandex from Extensible Energy. We have some questions coming in from the audience. I'd like to go there uh, in just a moment. Actually, I want to tag on to what you just said because it was one of the questions that, uh, you know, living here in Mexico, I get the benefit sometimes of the uh, economic arbitrage, uh, but it's nonetheless, um, you know, dramatically uh, clear how the global forex fluctuation, um, thanks to not only this crisis, but the recession that has ensued, is affecting the local economy, everything from local uh, food supply to, of course, the energy markets. How are you all seeing and tracking these Forex fluctuations when you've got, as an example, Mexico, Mexican peso going from around $18 to $25 uh, pesos per dollar, uh, just as one market where there's been such a huge growth uh, of investment, predominantly in dollars, but where also these purchases are done in dollars. How do you see this affecting the various markets moving forward? That's a great question, uh, Nico, and I'll and I'll be totally honest. We're still sort of trying to unpick uh, un unpick that and um, and understand how that's gonna how that's gonna affect the region because currency markets move very rapidly and uh, and uh, and energy projects are are obviously like longer term investment propositions. Um, but I have, I have a couple thoughts on that. So first of all, like anybody who's kind of been been reading the news or watching the markets, you know that Latin America's financial markets. Have been um, and currencies, of course, as you said, have been sort of disproportionately affected um, by the crisis. Uh, there, there are a number of reasons for that. Reasons for that, but but they've really currencies have really been crushed, as you pointed out. Um, so that's good on, on the one hand for for uh, some sectors of the economies in Latin America where uh, raw materials are exported, be that soybeans or iron ore or copper. Um, there, there's some potential uh, lift there. Uh, which could make, might kind of counteract uh, the otherwise dire economic forecast. But for energy development and for renewables in particular, we think it's a really big issue, um, simply because, as you said, it makes imports of key inputs and materials more expensive. Um, and they're, even in a market like Brazil, which, makes its own, which manufactures up to 80% of the inputs 
um, required for, for, for a wind project, there's still always going to be components you need to import. Um, and uh, the real actually, the Brazilian real has actually been the worst performing emerging market currency this year. Um, so so imagine, imagine the effect on that. You can compound that kind of um, issue when you look at projects that have merchant exposure, of course, and are going to get paid. Um, some proportion of, uh, of their revenue is, is, is tied to the spot market. Um, and then finally, uh, across the region, even with auction PPAs, um, they're not uniformly dollarized. Uh, Argentina, Chile, and, uh, and Mexico uh, long-term PPAs are indexed to the dollar. Um, but in Brazil and Colombia, they're, they're in local currency. So, so there's a tremendous amount of risk associated with, uh, with currency fluctuations. You know, the, there's something else fluctuating, as you rightly pointed out, in the market, and that is the, the status of the oil industry. And by and large, in uh, Latin America, we have, uh, you know, HFO heavy fuel oil as peaker plants. We have uh, hydro serving as backup or firm power um, to, to the plus in many cases for renewables. Um, but those two often tend to serve as the uh, marginal cost or as uh, in the case of HFO, the highest cost that go in to that, which really drives the dynamic for uh, auctions. How do we see, uh, you know, sort of in this personal, uh, in this in this scenario that we find ourselves, is it possible to redirect uh, the oil investment that uh, that we've seen sort of funds going through uh, a, a divestment of towards renewables and considering the variability in that price? Does this bode well for the reliability of renewables uh, moving forward? Ah, oh, man, that's a great question. And, and again, like so many, uh, so many facets to it that I wish I had like a kind of a hundred. I wish I had a crystal ball and and and, and maybe uh, and maybe a bigger maybe a bigger engine to like understand the uh, understand all the implications there. But but I mean, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess we. I I, I I I guess you know we have to talk about crises right now because there's, there's a health, there's a, there's a public health crisis, there's economic crises. Um, and then if you're an oil trader, uh, there's a crisis in your market as well. So I think that lower oil prices um, in a, in a best case scenario could mean that some governments could spend less on, on subsidizing fossil fuels um, and, and could transfer that could redirect that to financing uh, cheap renewable sources. I think in countries that have a strong commitment to renewable energy um, that already uh, that that's already in place. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of Brazil. I'm thinking of Chile. I'm thinking of uh, Mexico until recently. Um, you know, I don't think that 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 cheap um, fuel, cheap uh, fuel oil, um, will uh, you know will mean that that, that renewables are suddenly are suddenly uh, losing uh, losing interest. On the worrying side. Um, some of the news out of Mexico um, just this past week on uh, with Senase uh, halting interconnection of wind and solar projects that might be tied uh, <laughs> some some in, in the name of grid reliability. Uh, you know, so, some people have observed that that might be tied to uh, to, to surplus of of, uh, of of high sulfur high sulfur fuel oil um, out of mm -hmm. Penix's refining portfolio. Um, and uh, yeah, so maybe, maybe maybe there are some risks as well to uh, to this suddenly much less valuable uh, refined product. Yeah, and for those who are unfamiliar, Senase is one of the controlling agents here in Mexico. Uh, it's actually the Senase stands for the Centro Nacional de Control de Energía. It's basically equivalent to uh, the ISO in in the United States, uh, similar to uh, helping navigate the markets and approving and not approving interconnections. 
it's tenuous times, not just in uh, in Mexico, where we're obviously uh, confronting a uh, a massive market shift <laughs> uh, as a paradigm at, at the government level, where we had a, a huge boom for renewables, and um, and we've seen that in Brazil, Chile, Argentina. We actually had a question come in that you sort of touched on, and that I'd like to go back to. So we've got sort of the big four: Brazil, Chile, Mexico. Uh, or rather big three. And, and then we've got Colombia, which has sort of come up on the market. Uh, they, they've been on again, off again with auctions. One of the questions was, what happens with Colombia? Um, you know, it's a, dollar, uh, it's a dollar denominated by and large energy market, uh, although they have their own local currency. As you pointed out, their, uh, their projects are based in the local currency. How will we see this massive reduction in, um, in overall investment dollars and investment projects, 25% affect uh, markets like Colombia? Well, um, I, I think it's, uh, I, I think we could see some real problems. I think we could see some real issues um, around project delays. Um, but I would also hasten to point out that um, a lot of those factors were in place uh, before the pandemic, in fact. Um, so in terms of where Colombia shows up in the numbers, um, because it's a new market and it's a very exciting market, it, it, it gets a lot of, um, it has gotten a lot of press and, and rightly so. Um, it doesn't really show up in a big way in the investment charts yet because the auction just happened. So, so quite a few projects have yet to, um, have yet to secure financing and the way that we sort of track financing is a project has to be at least sort of 50% financed before we kind of consider it, um, before we can consider it. So, so that's kind of why it, it, it's not a, it's not sort of a, a, a force in the charts. Um, but, the, but there has been, um, you know, if, if you kind of, I, I realize we're not showing the chart anymore, but if you look out to 2022 in what we had, uh, forecast, we do, you know, there are some very, very, uh, significant and serious developers there, both local and international, um, who are very credible. And particularly, particularly on the solar side, um, there's no question that, that, uh, that the country is going to see a big increase in, uh, in capacity in the coming years. The wind side, when I mentioned pre-existing factors that will sort of, that, that, that I think are, we're not, a, we're not unique in this view, um, that represent a bottleneck is of course, transmission and the interconnection with, uh, with Guajira, which is where, um, if I'm not mistaken, all of the winning projects um, from, from the last auction were, were located. And it's an area of, of fantastic, uh, fantastic wind resource, um, excellent capacity factors. Um, but, but it's also remote and isolated. There are local community consultation issues. And, uh, and frankly, it's probably going to take a while for, that, uh, for, for the internet interconnection to be built. So yeah, I, I don't think all of that capacity will be coming online uh, on time. James, you mentioned that um, there's this trailing period. Auctions typically have a two to three year uh, completion period post award, often is as long as maybe four or five years. Uh, what's the typical trailing uh, tail that you all assign from an analyst perspective to these auctions where we expect to see in your forecast these investments reaching the market? Well, it, you know, it varies so much. We don't have a standard sort of like assumption um, because that would uh, that would mask too much too much nuance, frankly. Um, but what I can say in general terms is, if you noticed, there's uh, in in the capacity chart I showed, there's a very small amount of relative to relative to Brazil's history. There's a very small amount of capacity um, expected to be uh, new capacity expected to be commissioned this year. 
And that is, by and large, a result of the pause in auctions the country held between um, over 2016 and, and most of 2017. So that kind of gives you a sense of like a, on a macro level, what the lag looks like from like, from, from auction to, 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 to projects you know, being connected and generating energy. But however, um, I, I mentioned nuance because of course, uh, this varies so much by country. This varies uh, so much, of course, by developer. Um, if you look at project data, you could, and we've done some interesting studies, um, for, for example, for wind projects in Mexico, um, the, uh, the time from, uh, the construction timeline from, from, uh, from beginning construction to commissioning is one of the longer, uh, one of the longer periods in the, among major wind markets. That's also tied to project size. It's also, it's sometimes a response to, uh, the nature of prices in the, in the wholesale market. Uh, in some cases we see, you know, uh, a, a, mer a merchant tail gets talked about a lot where a PPA ends and a project, uh, you know, secures, se secures uh, its revenue on the basis of spot sales. Uh, well, the opposite occurs as well uh, in, in, in some cases where you have much higher prices in the spot market um, and an auction contract that doesn't, a PPA that doesn't enter into force for six years, um, developers will often try to, uh, to, to hasten the development and come and, and, and secure sort of the, uh, the opposite of a merchant tail, secure merchant revenue uh, prior to the start of the PPA. So that occurs as well. Yeah, there's a lot uh, that we, we could go down deep down the rabbit hole of sort of the economics of how all these projects uh, transactions happen and, and what we might see happening in the market at a macro level. But for the uninitiated, we've mentioned a lot the idea of auctions. How much uh, of, the, of the scale of the Latin America market is driven by auctions. You mentioned that they're reducing. So I'm really curious, how much do the auctions drive the overall macro investment that we see in the Latin America renewables market? And what trends might we anticipate in the coming years? Well, you know, it's a lot. I, I, I suppose I couldn't put like an exact, an exact, exact number on it just because I, I don't have that at my fingertips. But um, um, I, I could look at look that up for you again, just by going by sort of like what what it looks like from a macro perspective. You see a huge bump in investment in Mexico from the three auctions they held over 2016 and 2017. Um, you see a huge bump in Argentina. In fact, actually kickstarting the market. Um, I, I, and, and something I think is similar is, is sort of playing out in Colombia. So uh, not only do they really drive investment, um, you know, I, I think um, what I said about like 80%, anyway, I forget the exact figure, but, 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 but Mexico would not be seeing the solar boom it's seeing today. And I'm talking about utility scale only here, um, were it not for the auctions it held. Um, same thing in Argentina and uh and, and we could, I, I think we could very much characterize all of the markets, uh, frankly, as, uh, as auction driven. That's, that being said, um, there are instances, more isolated instances of, uh, of merchant projects. And then the other important, really important trend that's also growing um, is, of course, the corporate PPA market. Um, you know, there, there's, there's more, uh, you know, bi bilateral, uh, bilateral contracting, um, I think, is going to be increasingly popular. Um, and I, uh, it's also kind of there's 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 interesting uh, elements of that in all the markets. The the commitment of many of the large global miners like BHP to uh, to, to to clean energy goals um, has has interesting implications for that in uh, in Chile, for example. Yeah. Well, as you pointed out, uh, you know, when I started getting in the market 2013 or so, 2000 late 2012, um, on the chart that we showed earlier. 
solar was, you know, less than, uh, it was less than two gigawatts. I think it was a very small portion of the contribution margin for renewables growth in the market. Um, and while, while we do see that the overall markets are going to become reduced in some cases up to 25%, perhaps more, uh, do we see any uh, interesting trends developing around other renewables, uh, like uh, geothermal, perhaps? Are there, are there other types of renewables that you all are watching and keeping an eye on that would be of interest for us from, from a macro perspective? I would say qualified, yes. Um, so the, I, I think the chart that best kind of <laughs> illustrates the, the, um, the evolution there on the technolo- technology side is the, uh, is the, new, the, the, the clean energy investment by technology. Um, when, when we're talking about, uh, you know, to go back to, to 2013 um, and, and years before that, you see, you know, about 50% of, uh, of investment uh, in the region is wind. And then the rest is, uh, is biomass and, and biofuels and small hydro. Um, I think, you know, and, and solar is nowhere to be seen. And then solar has this incredible explosion. Um, and, 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 and now, as I mentioned, wind and solar are 96%. Take you know, and, and it's about a 50-50 split. It's 96% of renewable energy investment. Um, that's not to say that there aren't interesting and, and, and valuable geothermal uh, projects out there. It's just in terms of scale, what's sort of driving clean, the clean energy matrix is really these two technologies. Um, there's, there's, there's a really cool solar thermal project, a STEG project uh, in northern Chile. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, there's, there, 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 there are plenty of small hydro projects constantly in development. Um, you know, very, very important parts of the, uh, of the grids in Central America, for example. Um, but, but at that sort of macro level, it, it's really, it really is a wind, uh, a wind and solar story uh, for, for the region. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. Well, one of the things that we tend to focus on when we think about wind or hydro is the utility scale nature of the markets and the large dollars that are invested there. That notwithstanding, uh, while Brazil has had unprecedented growth in solar, a large portion of that has been distributed generation with one of the region's uh, sort of hallmark uh, examples of policy driving distributed generation with a cap of five megawatts for projects and uh, virtual net metering. Do we see adoption throughout the region of sort of the standard that Brazil has set? Also, are we going to see any impact or, uh, or potential benefit thanks to COVID-19 or of the d- larger DG market? It's an interesting question, Nico. Um, I, you know, and, and I'd have to say it's probably one of the most interesting. Um, it, 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 it's probably it's probably an area of uh, of the clean energy market in Latin America that that that, I, that I'm most interested in. To be honest with you, um, as you said, there's a, there's uh, the virtual net metering policy in place in Brazil, combined with the high cap. Uh, in terms of megawatts, means that uh, the sector has just exploded. It's 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 seen huge, hugely important growth. Um, distributed numbers are included in the investment charts I showed, but the capacity numbers I showed were only utility scale. Um, but if if we were to look at a chart of what, and there are many out there of of what what solar distributed solar looks like in in Brazil, um, it's been phenomenal. Um, and, and as with utility scale, it was on track uh, for a record year uh, prior to the outbreak. Um, just to, to put some numbers uh, to that, the first quarter of this year saw uh, 550 megawatts of distributed PD installed, um, and January uh, was the highest ever commissioned. So, so we were kind of like we, we were on a roller coaster before that. Um, unfortunately, this is also a sector um, as it is uh, driven by consumer decisions. It's also one of the sectors that's um, you know most most uh, 
most likely to, to most responsive uh, to the kind of I think economic conditions we're facing now, um, and, and things really plummeted. So, so the total capacity installed Brazil DG in April um, was 55, uh, just just 55 megawatts. And I remember 550 before 55, um, and that's the lowest level since uh, since December 2018. That said, I, I don't. I think that again, I, I, it's nice to finish with a maybe an, on an optimistic note. I think one impact of the crisis is that um, it's pushed the um, it's pushed the review of this of this pretty generous policy onto the back burner. Uh, so it might, uh, you know, the 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 regulation is uh, expected to to be changed at some point, and and no matter how it's changed, it's almost certainly going to increase payback here, payback periods, um, and get a little bit less uh, get a little bit less generous in some way, and um, and I think the policy may uh, may may live may live a little longer now. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, as a huge fan, uh, as I know you are, of distributed generation, uh, where I think in markets like Central America, we're going to see a huge uh, opportunity there uh, continue to develop, as well as Colombia and Peru and other markets. Uh, I hope that we can see that the, the silver lining, the plus side of this is that there's bigger problems to worry about. And so some of the favorable uh, situations we see in the market will stay favorable for a while longer, uh, despite the fact of this dramatic reduction we've seen in the market uh, based on the, the market dynamics that are happening. Uh, you know, uh, sort of wrapping up here, uh, I wanted to highlight that all of us are, well, I presume many of us, all of us are in this uh, fight against climate change in some way or another, whether you're on the analyst side or on the project development side, because not only do we believe that fundamentally we need to change the direction of the way our energy is being produced and reduce our carbon footprint in so doing, but we believe that you can do good by doing well or while doing well. Um, that notwithstanding, the region is one of the, <clears throat> I'll say the regions that in the world that's going to be very difficult uh, to decarbonize, uh, you know, standing sort of alongside India and China, perhaps, um, we're seeing a big push in places like Europe and the United States with policies pushing towards 100% renewables and the decarbonization of the energy grid. Do you believe that there are still lingering longer term challenges for clean energy and the decarbonization of the power grid in the region? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I would have to say, of course. Um, I, I think that there's some I mean, so, I mean, there, there are some sort of favorable, uh, you know, favorable characteristics all in, in place. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hydro in a lot of markets in Latin America. Uh, there, there, there is not new coal being built, uh, as you see in, uh, in a lot of emerging markets, uh, particularly in Asia and Southeast Asia. Um, there is a pretty strong commitment to, to clean energy that I think in most, in most uh markets in the region, we could say, um, kind of spans the political divide. Um, no, no one in Latin America is, uh, or, I mean, well, I say no one again, someone will be, but, but, but political leaders on both sides of the uh, political spectrum in most countries are not arguing for, uh, for, for dirtier sources <laughs> of electricity generation, which is more than we can say about, uh, about every country. And, um, and uh, yeah, and, and so, so there's sort of just like, like, for example, Brazil, which is, which, which is a huge, a huge force uh, in, in the region. Um, you know, the, it's not controversial to hold renewable energy auctions. Chile is like really on a policy level is really sort of uh, a leading light uh, committing to kind of uh, attempt to completely decarbonize um, their power sector uh, with, with a schedule released recently and, and meaningful, meaningful and actionable steps 
uh, planned and already taken, in fact. So I, I suppose I would say I'm very optimistic for the region uh, as a whole. I, I think certainly when we compare to, to, to other, other parts of the world, we're not, on, uh, we're, we're not in a bad place. But the kinds of policy commitments that, that, that you see in Chile, for example, um, I, I, I hope that that, that uh, also, uh, I, I hope other, 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 other major markets also kind of take parallel steps at some point, just because, you know, there is still a tremendous amount of, uh, of fossil fuels on the grid in, uh, in a lot of places. And as I mentioned before, the statistic that I think is one of the most powerful out there is uh, w when we look at the levelized cost of uh, electricity um, for, for, for bulk generation, wind and solar are now the cheapest uh, forms of, uh, of, of power generation in, uh, in most of the world. So, uh, so let's do it. All right, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, but I do hope that you'll check out the other Two for Tuesday episodes and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. A special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there for any offers we've discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>